Welcome to today's sports and entertainment podcast brought to you by Market Scale. I'm Sean Heath, and today's conversation is with Sam Dore, Vice President of Marketing and Sales for Phoenix Rising Football Club, the only professional soccer team in Arizona. Sam, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Look forward to uh, catching up with you. Hey, thanks for coming on. Now, I have to say, have you guys sort of come down off of that celebration of this past season? Just I want to do a sports just quickly. So you guys rebranded this year, basically starting almost from scratch, and you made it deep into the playoffs this year. I mean, are, are you guys still on cloud nine over that? Yeah, look, I think, you know, we're using the momentum to, to push us forward for 2018. As, as you know, in sports, the off seasons are, are shorter and shorter, I think, as the years go on. So we're really using that as a, a momentum into 2018. What we accomplished in year one was, you know, nothing short of phenomenal. And I think that all boils down to the ownership group that we have in place, new owners, the rebrand, a, a really great looking crest and logo. Uh, that looks good on merchandise, looks good on digital and social media platforms. And then, you know, we popped up a stadium in less than 60 days and in a great location here in Phoenix, Scottsdale, Tempe area. So uh, look, and then, you know, you sign a guy like Didier Drogba and and you get all of that momentum. So it was, uh, I think it doesn't get enough credit for how successful year one it is. It's not easy as a, as a first year franchise, whether it's on the field success wise, making the playoffs and what we did on the field you know, hottest team in the league at the end of the year, obviously didn't get the trophy, which we wanted, but uh, year one was a, was a massive success. We're all still very excited about it, but uh, you know, the focus is now on 2018 and making sure that, you know, 2017 wasn't the pinnacle of who we are. You know, we want to be even better in 2018. And I think, uh, you know, from my past experiences in year two, year two really becomes what you are as a, as a franchise and a team. So 2018 is huge for us to set that mentality and really determine and define, you know, who we are going forward. Now, you are part of the United Soccer League. However, I have it on good authority. MLS is expanding for teams. There's a very solid chance you're just going to step right up into that. So you guys hitting the ground running as you did this last season, that can't be anything but good news for you. No, 100 percent. Look, Phoenix wasn't even on the radar. Uh, before the success that this ownership group had uh, and we had this past year. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of ground to make up on some of the other markets. Sacramento has been around for a while. Uh, you know, Nashville is an attractive market. I could, you know, I could go on and on. Um, they're going to award two franchises here this week or next week. We won't be in the first two. That's fine. We understand where we're at. And quite frankly, we prefer to be spot three or spot four. And we feel really good about spot three or spot four. Here in January, we're going to come out with a Rising is Ready campaign uh, with some some stadium renderings, a site plan, uh, you know, ownership, what that looks like, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we're ready to go. We're really excited about 2018. And we think, uh, you know, we're in the pole position for spot three or four to, to get into MLS. We have a great market, great demographics, great corporate support, great ticket sales. Uh, obviously the biggest TV market that MLS doesn't have, which never hurts. So uh, we feel good about where we're at. We've made up a lot of ground in one year, and we think uh, with another year under our belt, uh, we're going to be in a really good spot. Now, when you're talking about sports franchises, you cannot get away from data and analytics. Now, before we talk about your use of those in the future, I want to talk just briefly about your background because your background really has just been leading you up to this moment. So can you give me kind of the elevator pitch on how you wound up in the middle of the desert? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a fun ride. And look, you, you start somewhere. I'm, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and 
you know, grew up around sports. I was blessed. My dad worked in professional sports. And so, you know, once you get past the appeal of being around professional athletes day in and day out, uh, that's not that cool anymore. So when you see some of these guys, it's like, yeah, that's great. But you feel more on a personal level. You're not uh, in all of them. And, and I think that's important once you get into the business to get over that. Uh, you're not in it to, uh, you know, be friends with LeBron James or Dirk Nowitzki, et cetera. So once you get over the all of it, you start, you know, when I was little, I was thinking about the business side, right? How are they selling the tickets? Where are they getting their money from, et cetera? So uh, always was a passion. Uh, interned in Milwaukee for the Milwaukee Brewers and uh, you know, that really kicked it off and you really saw the hours you put in in sports, uh, the toll it takes on you, et cetera, being told no uh, a lot of times. You got to get comfortable with being told no. And so, you know, went from there and, and first job out of college was at the University of Akron in their athletic department. And then, uh, you know, blessed enough to work for Spurs Sports and Entertainment who, um, you know, it's not a better place to learn as far as a, a learning ground of how to do things the right way, how to conduct business um, I can't say good enough things about, you know, what they do. Everything that you hear is is true and they put you in a position to succeed. So was blessed to do that and then went the college route to be an assistant AD at South Dakota State. Uh, and college and pro sports are completely different, but it was grateful, uh, you know, for my time there uh, for numerous different reasons. Uh, and then, you know, went back to the Spurs. They wanted me back. I was honored to be asked back to, to start their soccer team in, in the United Soccer League, the same league we're here in Phoenix. And uh, like to think we had a lot of success with San Antonio FC and because of that caught the attention of the guys down here in Phoenix and now I'm in the desert. So um, look, it's it's all about connections in, in the sports world, but you got to get your foot in the door somewhere and it's not always uh, the most attractive thing or, or the highest pay, et cetera. But um, it's amazing what an internship can turn into. So I have to say this, just out of concern for your personal health, are you hydrating enough? Hey, I'll tell you what I can I can do with the the heat down here. I look, uh, I drink a lot more water in the summer than I am right now. That's for sure. But um, I prefer the heat here than I, than I do the humidity uh, in San Antonio. So that's every time I was down here, they're like, "How are you doing? You holding up? You all right?" I'm like, "No, this is great." I'm you know I get in my car, I can turn on the air, and in San Antonio, you get in your car, and uh, it's like you just jumped in a swimming pool. So I'm doing all right. Good, good. So you have been raised, for lack of a better term, in the sports world, doing things the right way. And I've always found that it's easier to do things the right way if you have as much information as possible. You guys currently operate outside of the MLS umbrella. So that gives you a little bit more flexibility, I would imagine, as far as promotions and maybe things that you want to do right now when you're establishing your brand, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, look, there's some advantages to not being an MLS. I think, you know, that's why the USL, the United Soccer League is, is growing and is where it is and why, uh, look, to, to be quite frank, the next two expansion franchises for MLS are coming from USL. You know, they're existing USL clubs. And, you know, what, what we can do in the USL, whether it's uh, licensing with merchandise uh, and the merchandise offerings we have, uh, even on the player side of things and, and owning the player rights. And if you sell a player overseas or to another club, uh, as, as the club that owns his rights, you get to keep all the money from that sale. Whereas in MLS, it's a single entity and the MLS takes the money and spreads it amongst the team. So um, there, there is a lot of advantages to, to not being an MLS. Now, let's not shy away from the fact, of course, we want to be an MLS and uh, we're, we're happily would trade in the advantages to, to go into MLS. And we still think we can be a really cool brand and, and do some of the things we're doing right now in USL. So don't get me wrong there. But yeah, look, we, we use data uh, a lot and analytics and, and we do it on the field, of course. 
Uh, I think in every sport, uh, you're starting to use data and analytics more and more. Uh, something we were big, you know, on the Spurs on the basketball side, but on the soccer side, there's there's tons of, of platforms and scouting platforms out there now. Look, you know, we don't even have stats people in the press box anymore. It's all done uh, via somebody watching the game on the feed and, and putting it into a system. So, uh, you know, that's grown from a competition standpoint, but from a business standpoint, uh, it's even more important now to, to make smart decisions uh, with your marketing dollars to uh, make smart decisions with your time when it comes to targeting sponsors and, and ticket sales. So uh, we rely on data and analytics on the business side, I think, more than ever. Well, you know, that's an interesting point that you bring up, because while, while data and analytics are important, as supremely important as far as your roster, you also are wearing that sales and marketing hat. You can use all those analytics in everything that you do as far as the customer's side, as far as the fan experience, parking, ticketing, what kind of uh, amenities do you have in the stadium? I don't know how you sift through all the information that you must have coming across your desk on a daily basis. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's amazing what it's been able to do for us and, and look from a sponsorship side of things, uh, you know, even more so a corporate partnership. I can go into our, our database that we use called Umble. Uh, actually based in Austin, Texas, that we use for data um, acquisition and analytics. And I can go in and see that um, a vodka company, you know, 59% of our fans have an affinity towards that vodka company. Well, what that tells me uh, in my position is we need to go partner with that company because it is a brand uh, that, that our fans like and they want in the stadium. And, and of course, uh, the more brands that we can have in our stadium that our fans like, the better the fan experience is. Now, on, on the flip side, uh, I can go to that vodka company uh, and that partner and say, hey, you know, I know you're spending money with other teams, but look, here's the, the data and the analytics to show you should be spending your money with us. Uh, our fans have a strong brand affinity for you, and we have other fans like them that you can capture. So that's just a small snippet of, of how we use it. Uh, there's other things that we use it for, too. Uh, if I see that there's a certain food item or there's a restaurant that our fans have a high affinity for, it's easy for me to do a ticket package that includes a ticket and a, a Netflix gift card, let's just say, for instance, and send that to a targeted list of people that I know have a brand affinity for Netflix and say, hey, here's a $20 offer. It's a ticket to a Phoenix Rising game and a $5 Netflix gift card. Uh, our conversion percentage on that is is really, really high. So uh, it is working smarter. Uh, but also knowing our fans, um, you know, to the core. Uh, so we have a higher close percentage than we've ever had before. So you do an excellent job of straddling that line, walking that tightrope between just the straight B2B aspect and then selling to the average fan or consumer. Not everybody can can balance that. Are there any particular deals? And I understand you're in the business of vague, but we're not doing that on this podcast, brother. I'm asking you the hard questions. <laughs> Is there a deal that sticks out to you as, as kind of unique that you're like, man, I'm, I'm pretty proud that I did that? Yeah, I think, look, the most recent one that we've announced uh, with Mobile Mini, I don't know how familiar you are with them as a company, but a huge company that's based here in Phoenix, but obviously is worldwide. It's, it's storage solutions. Um, and it's a, it's a great company. Uh, we just sold them the title sponsorship of our MLS preseason event that we're hosting with ML, 11 MLS clubs and ourselves uh, called the Mobile Mini Sun Cup. Uh, but as part of that deal, uh, look, you, you talk about fan experience and how important that is. Um, you know, we, we had a glaring need of, of having more uh, character in our stadium. 
and having more bars in our stadium. Look, soccer fans like to, to drink beer, have alcohol, enjoy the game, et cetera. And, and the unique thing about soccer is really during the game, you're not getting up. It's constant action. There's not a quarter break. There's halftime and there's before the game. So, um, you know, the rush of fans to get their alcohol and, and their beer and their liquor before the game and the halftime is huge. And we just didn't have enough points of sales uh, to meet the demand. And, and quite honestly, it wasn't a great setup. The bars were, uh, you know, not very aesthetically pleasing. So we're working with Mobile Mini, and I think it fits our brand to actually um, partner on bars that are made out of shipping containers. So look, that that's what they specialize in is storage containers and shipping containers. So we're actually taking their existing product, which look is great for them, right? Great brand recognition uh, and a cool modern look, which we think, you know, fits our lifestyle brand. And we are making bars um, out of that. So we'll have a 40 foot bar. We'll have a couple of 20 foot bars that will actually have a deck on the top of them that uh, VIPs can watch the game from. So uh, it's instances like that where you get creative to work with a corporate partner to also address a need for the fans. I think that, um, you know, are, are the best type of, of partnerships to have. That's really a very cool idea. And you just get to sit around and think about stuff like that all day long. What a cool job. I wish I wish it was that easy, my man. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's exciting. And, and that's one. Look, I think you know, leveraging partnerships are, are huge too. We, you know, I call them triangular partnerships, but look, all of your partners that you work with all want to work with each other too. Uh, so, you know, here's an example. We work with Lyft. Lyft is great for us. We also work with Red Bull. Uh, so, you know, they wanted to work together. Well, how can we get them to work together and include rising? No brainer. When somebody uh, takes a car ride in a lift to our stadium, they get a Red Bull. Now, they don't get that if they're taking a lift to the local bar. They only get it if they're coming to a rising game. But, you know, we're including two partners. We're promoting it and we're going after the college crowd at Arizona State with that. So uh, just finding the creative ways to have partners work together to also uh, promote the club. We've had a lot of success with. Man, your job sounds so fun. I'm going to give you an idea, though, that I don't think anybody's thought of drink drones. I'm just saying, I'm giving that to you absolutely free. You have to figure out how to make it work, but I'm letting you have that idea just because I like you. Hey, when I figure it out, I'll invite you down here. I would love to come to the desert. I love football. Anytime you want me to come out there, I'll be happy to come hang out in the desert with you. I'll make sure you're first in line at the uh, mobile mini bar. Oh, you know me so well. Your whole career has been based on balancing that fine line between the B2B the customer experience, fan experience, and being a sports fan is no longer just a thing you do every once in a while. People are literally making it a central focus in, in the way they conduct their lives. It's their primary source of entertainment. And with hundreds of options, so many sporting options, and so many other ways to be distracted by the internet and technology, what do you see as a thought leader? What do you see coming in the sports B2B sort of sales and sponsorship to try and build that value both for the fans, but also for the corporate side? Yeah, I think it's a, uh, look, I, you know, if I had to pinpoint one thing and, you know, I'm almost scared to, to say it on the podcast because I don't want to give away my secrets, but look, I, I, I think it's a subscription based uh, model uh, on a ticketing uh, media digital um, front, you know, look, subscription with, with millennials starting to, to fill up the, the majority of the fan bases in sports being the most passionate, uh, having a lot of spending power here soon. Uh, they're used to the Netflix of the world, the, you know, the Apple of the world, et cetera. To me, um, you know, the commitment of season tickets is uh, becoming tougher and tougher uh, for sales reps and for teams to overcome committing to, you know, whether it's 81 baseball games or, you know, 41 NBA 
games or in soccer, you know, we're up to 20 plus games. That's a lot. Uh, you know, and, and that's a good or a bad thing. However you look on it, you know, people are passionate. They want to be a part of it, but some of them would rather, you know, watch on TV or some nights they have a concert, et cetera. That doesn't mean they're not a big fan of, uh, said team. So the way I see it going is, is becoming almost a Netflix type model, uh, on a sports, uh, side of things where it's a subscription service for tickets. You, you subscribe at X, uh, per month. Uh, and you can opt out, you know, um, X amount of days in advance, but you know, for that month or three months or six months or nine months subscription, uh, you have tickets to your favorite team. Uh, it's easier to sell too, right? Look for 1099 a month. Uh, you get this, this, and this as compared to, Hey, give me $500 for the season ticket. So uh, that's where I see it going. I wouldn't be shocked to see it sooner than later. Uh, look, already text message ticketing is there, et cetera, et cetera. So look, I, I think more along the lines of a subscription-based ticketing service uh, that teams actually roll out as their season ticket instead of your traditional season tickets uh, is where things are going to go. That's really interesting. So instead of a massive investment in a where in a real world situation where you might not make all of those games as you said you actually build a stronger brand by being less overwhelming for the fans correct and you can sell more cuz look if if you have 20,000 seats you could sell 30,000 subscriptions uh because not you know if you have the data to operate off of uh more often than not not more than your 20,000 subscriptions are going to come and of course you'll have to work in language and, and ways to do it uh but look you could still get the same amount of money as well look if you your season ticket was $500 if you break it into 12 months but it's a subscription that automatically renews um you know you can still make the same amount of money it's just a less daunting way of uh presenting it and it's a way that they're a little bit more familiar with without being scared of uh, the commitment. Look, you can build in upgrades. Maybe, uh, you know, the base subscription is, you know, $9.99 and that's a standing room or an upper level ticket. But, you know, to assure the, the same seat and an aisle seat or whatever it may be or a certain section, uh, that subscription goes up to $15.99 a month. And maybe for $29.99 a month, you get the, you know, you get the news before uh, they publish it on social media or send out the press release. So I think there's ways you can build it. Uh, but I think that's the way it's going to go because that's the way the consumer consumer is used to uh, consuming uh, products these days. Look, I mean, cable subscriptions are down. People are using Celine TV, Netflix, like I said, um, Amazon, et cetera. I can see Amazon getting involved in the ticket world. They're already starting to. So um, I think finding creative ways to speak to the customers is going to be key these next five to 10 years. It wouldn't shock me if, look, Steve Ballmer and the Clippers or somebody cutting edge, look, even there in Dallas with Mark Cuban, somebody is going to do it and it's going to be successful. And, and as you know, in, in pro sports, it's, it's very, uh, it's a cop copycat uh, type of culture. And, and once one team doesn't have success, uh, the rest are going to fall in line. Today, I've been talking with Sam Dorr, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Phoenix Rising Football Club. Sam, thanks so much. I wish you guys the best of luck and success. And I look forward to seeing your name on that MLS roster soon. Yeah, we t us too. And look, I, uh, I appreciate the, uh, the time today and look forward to hopefully catching up with you again in the near future. Thanks. Have a good day. Bye now. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Thank you.